The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Duan Neely, Chief Information Officer for the State of Indiana. So welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition, our state and local program, Duan. It's great to have you in studio. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Well, we want to welcome you to our magnificent facility that I was telling you is relatively new for us. But what's the occasion of your visit to Washington, by the way? Uh, Yeah, sure. I uh, represent one of the executive committee members for our National Association for State CIOs. And uh, that organization chairs several federal organizations um, as a way to provide a voice for states and technology and state CIOs. And so I was drafted to represent NACIO on the Global Advisory Committee on Data Sharing and uh, initiatives around that. So we're meeting the next uh, one and a half days here in D.C. Oh, that's nice. I saw the press release from NACIO on your appointment to that organization. It's always nice to get involved in those kind of organizations that get you, you know, a lot of intergovernmental contacts you can make, a lot of with the Justice Department and other, I think there were five or six of those different uh, groups that NACIO put an, an announcement on and, and announced the uh, the CIOs that were assigned to those committees. Well, welcome to D.C. It's glad to have you here. We always like to have people in the studio. Thank you. Uh, before we get started in your, your IT issues, plans, and other state priorities in the Hoosier State, our listeners like to hear about our guest background. Uh, I know you were originally appointed by Governor, now Vice President, Mike Pence back in 2015, and you were reappointed by Governor Eric Holcomb in Correct. 2017. Tell us a little bit about your career before your your appointment. As I understand it, you were one of the original appointees of the Indiana Office of Technology since its inception back in the early 2000s. Yes, that's correct. Um, It's really a a whirlwind, sort of an unplanned uh, journey for me. Um, I had only spent just under three years of IT consulting, um, graduating from Purdue University where I studied technology uh, before I came across uh, state government, and at the time, uh, there was a governor uh, by the name of Mitch Daniels that was uh, taking control of the state, and uh, one of his main pushes for policy was to consolidate the IT infrastructure for the state of Indiana, and it was really an opportunity to help uh, shore up some of the monies we needed to save and get us back into the black from the deficit we had in Indiana at that time, and so I saw that as something that I felt passionate about to kind of help my state, and honestly, it was a great way to build my resume. Um, So he created our office, which is the Office of Technology there in 2005, and uh, lo and behold, I'm I'm still there about 14 years later, but uh, I was never playing that way, but it's it's just been a great ride. Yeah, I saw in your resume that you were involved in that consolidation, and those are always harrowing stories. I know I've, I've been through several, and I always say to most of my guests that have done the same, it's where your gray hairs start to come out, you know? It's a challenge, isn't it? It is a challenge. Yeah, it is. particularly when, uh, in a change in administrations, when you try to get things done early on, uh, it's always best, but it's still not without its challenges and barriers as you go through it. Well, how did, you, uh, how did your appointment happen? Uh, you were deputy CIO, I think, when you, were, when you were appointed, correct? I was. I was deputy CIO at the time. Um, you yourself are, are familiar with kind of how the transitions go with, with state CIOs and opportunities come and go, you know, sometimes planned, sometimes unplanned. And uh, it just so happens my 
predecessor there had an opportunity uh, to go to a startup and um, really made the recommendation, said, hey, I think you're ready to, to take this challenge. Um, so I did a lot of inner soul searching and, and consulting with mentors and folks much smarter than me. And, <laughs> you know, I think it was a just a combination of the experience I had there, the relationships I had built with uh, not only the administration, but also the partner agencies and their leadership. And I was able to uh, kind of sell those things along with, with some broad visions that I had personally for the agency and um, ended up being a good fit for, mm-hmm. for then Governor Pence. And then I was able to um, kind of relay that and get in line with what now Governor Holcomb wants to do with his uh, next level agendas in, in the state. And those transitions, of course, are always very interesting for state CIOs. Uh, even when the, the political party stays the same, you're never really sure what the, the new boss is going to have in mind, right? That's right. So it worked out for you. It did work out. You know, like I said, we saw eye to eye on lots of ways to use more technology to uh, provide better customer service and just to better track and make sure we're measuring all that we do, even in technology, just to make sure we're doing it the best possible. Is it a department or an agency, the office? Agency. Since mm-hmm. that was created back in, what, 2003, 2004, something like that? Tell us how your, your office is situated in the state organization chart. Are you a member of the governor's cabinet, for example? Uh, so my agency has it's shifted several times. When it was first created under Governor Daniels, it was a member of the cabinet. Um, it stayed that way under Governor Pence as well. Um, more recently, we've been realigned um, with several other agencies to uh, report through Office of Management and Budget um, as a way to not only use technology as a strategic asset, but also to make sure it's it's uh, being fiscally driven and using to um, make better return on those investments and spend those dollars wisely. And that's not an altogether unusual transition, I must say. I know, in fact, Terry Takai, when she took over the job, one of the stipulations was that I told her when I talked to her about it, you've got to get full control and cabinet status for this job or otherwise, I mean, an operational control, which we'll talk about in a, in, a, in a minute, but it was really critical. And she did get it. She They created a cabinet level agency, which lasted, I think, two weeks when Governor Brown was elected and he, <laughs> he got rid of it. He hate, The guy hated technology, I tell you. It's strange. But, but anyway, um, tell us about your budget, your staff leadership, senior staff, things like that. Sure. Yeah. So we operate on, uh, for, and we provide just the infrastructure. I know lots of states are set up various different ways, mm-hmm. but we're, we're purely an infrastructure provider um, as well as the enterprise applications. But a lot of the uh, line of business specific applications still are the responsibility of the agencies. So, Do they run in your data center though? They do run in my yeah. data center, mm-hmm. correct. And so in order to serve that demand, which continues to grow, um, our budget uh, for infrastructure services is uh, around 130 million this year um, to provide all the all the necessary services that are needed. And um, as far as organizational structure, um, I've I've kind of created an executive team that's largely of um, six individuals, including myself. That's really broken up around our technology officer, um, our financial officer. I have an administrative officer, a security officer, uh, and then an operations officer to make sure. You know, the trains are still running and we're doing the blocking and tackling as we should be Mm -hmm. um, as we look to advance in terms of technology and security, which are the kind of two key areas that we focus on. Mm -hmm. That sounds very familiar uh, to the organization I had when I was CIO. Um, You said it was 100 and 
100, about 130 million 130 this year. million, mm-hmm. and it mostly be covered through chargebacks. It's and, completely through uh, cost recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always interested in state and local uh, CIOs' relationship with their champion, if you will, the chief executive officer. In your case, the the governor, or I guess the the head of the uh, management agency you referred mm-hmm. to. Tell us about working. That's so such such a critical component to CIO success. Tell us about that. It is critical, and uh, I think I'm very fortunate to have a uh, great relationship with um, our um, director of OMB, our Office of Management and Budget, and uh, very, very strong support from an IT perspective. As you mentioned, you know, the, the governor in California there who kind of um, shifted the cabinet and focus on technology, sometimes it's not always a priority for administrations, but um, I feel I'm fortunate to get the support I need, especially around the critical areas, which is um, security and which is, you know, large IT projects mm-hmm. um, that are a big, uh, a big drain in times of uh, money and resources and, and people for, for states. It must have been interesting working with uh, the previous governor, Mike Pence. Uh, tell us, we must have some stories about working with him when you directly reported on the cabinet. <laughs> you know, I tell you the, the stories that, uh, of Governor Pence were just you know, a, a man of, of sheer sincerity. You know, I think one story is, that sticks out is as he was traveling the state and visiting with folks, he happened to visit Warsaw, Indiana, where I have family. And uh, a cousin of mine and his wife happened to see him at at an event there. And they don't know how large state government is. And so they just <laughs> assumed, hey, he's going to know Dewan, say, hey, my, you know, my cousin works for you, you know. And uh, they said that the governor said, yeah, I know Dewan. <laughs> Which I was like, wow, he knows my name, and and B, you know how big these, how big our states are, that he would even know to remember that and, and recite that to them. So that's that's kind of the story of kind of how he was, and you know, never a million years working for him that I think, uh, you know, he'd be vice president. That all that just kind of happened really, really fast. Yeah, I'll tell you a story when we come back. We're going to take a short break right now, but our guest today is Dewan Neely, Chief Information Officer for the State of Indiana. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. As Virginia warns of a potentially bad wildfire season and dangerous fires continue to burn in California, engineers are developing a new tool to stop wildfires in their tracks. More than 80% of California's wildfires in the past decade happened at obvious places. Eric Apple, an engineer at Stanford University, says that includes campgrounds, roadsides, utilities. So he's designed a chemical to pre-treat the areas that are at most risk and prevent them from igniting in the first place. To make it work, Apple encases a fire retardant in a special mix of polymers called a hydrogel. It's mostly water and when sprayed from aircraft or on-ground equipment, the water evaporates and then it forms a small film on the vegetation. A single annual treatment would provide protection against ignitions for the duration of the season. Apple says tests show it doesn't harm the plants and eventually biodegrades naturally. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The FBI, the United States Secret Service, and the Department of Homeland Security have joined forces to mitigate the growing threat of e-skimming attacks. 
E-skimming happens when a cybercriminal injects malicious code into a website to steal customer payment information and personally identifiable information, or PII, in real time. Acting Assistant Chief of the FBI Cyber Engagement and Intelligence Section, LT Chu. The compromises occur directly through the company's website through its third-party payment vendor, and cybercriminals use phishing emails to gain access into the system itself. The FBI and its partners are engaging with e-commerce companies across the country to help them minimize the risk of attacks. Chu says basic cyber hygiene is a must for these companies. Actively scan and monitor web applications for unauthorized access, conduct network penetration tests on a regular basis, things like that. Have a cyber incident response plan in place. Report e-skimming attacks at ic3.gov. With FBI This Week, I'm Molly Halpern of the Bureau. I'm Gigi Shum, host of Women of Washington. My show highlights the women executives of the Washington, D.C. area, how they began and how they built their career through the decades. These women are the groundbreakers and the trailblazers in their fields. They share their stories with me so the next generation executive can learn from them. Tune in Wednesday afternoons at 1 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe to Women of Washington on iTunes or Podcast One. Hi, this is Sean Kelly, host of CyberChat. As a former federal CIO and CISO, I can tell you the threat landscape is a dynamic and evolving matter. My conversations with federal leaders from across the government focus on the latest trends and hottest cyber topics and challenges. Join me for a high-level conversation about how agencies maintain mission security. Tune in Friday mornings at 1030 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe on iTunes and Podcast One. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Dewan Neely, Chief Information Officer for the State of Indiana. Uh, before the break, we were talking about your relationship with the former governor, now Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, let's shift over and talk about some of the current initiatives you're working on in the state of Indiana. Sure. Well, I kind of alluded to having that strong support from the Office of Management and Budget in terms of security and just the uh, successful delivery of the large IT projects that states have to take on in order to provide the services to the citizens. And so those are, you know, by far the two, kind of the two key priorities for for me and my office and the, the agency there. You know, we at any t- point in time, a state can have uh, a dozen or so projects. Um, and depending on what reach they have, if it's uh, eligibility, if it's Medicaid, if it's um, those large services that states provide, that's a big chunk of the budget, and they're they are typically large, um, complex projects. And so making sure we're set up as a state uh, to have the most the best chance at success and to bring those in uh, faster and under budget is in to, to our best interest. And so we've put some concerted efforts around being in front of those projects and making sure we're, we're running those through a, a, a rigor that um, – it's, it's kind of just a next level approach on on how you typically do large IT projects and making sure IT is a larger part of that up front um, and not just driven by the business. Right. I'd like to explore that a little bit more. I was going to ask that later. But um, one of the two things when I talk to CIOs, it seems that, that keep you up at night, I have to do with, one has to do with security and one has to do with these big, hairy, audacious IT projects and sometimes, you know, 20s and 30s, hundreds of millions of, of, of dollars. Um, what exactly do you use to keep track of those projects? What's your formula or your process for portfolio tracking, if you will? Mm-hmm. 
it's it's really using the the things that we're exposed to each day and and putting that in a way that's easily understood um, and easily explained and and provides a level of transparency needed for anyone that's looking at it. And so, as you can imagine, central IT. We get involved with projects uh, all day, every day. We've seen the gamut. We've seen successful ones. We've seen failed ones. We've seen what works, what doesn't work. And so it's a matter of just cataloging all that we've seen and done and creating that recipe that it may not equal 100% success, but it'll sure make sure you're taking all the necessary steps to ensure success the best you can. And so we roll that up in a to a tool. We're, le- we're leveraging Microsoft Project using Project Portfolio and having all the agencies feed into that. And then we're specifically tracking at this level projects that are million dollars and above to where we bring in increased transparency. We make sure that the benefits, what we're going to realize from a benefits is clearly defined and it's, and clearly measurable. And then we track towards those along the process of time and budget as well. Yeah, I know that when I was in there, I had a, uh, I had a private sector advisory council, which was really uh, very important to my success because I was able to leverage them in, 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 in encouraging things that un- sometimes I was un- unable to encourage because it looked like I was empire building, for example. But one of the things that the CIO from Fidelity, this was in Massachusetts, brought to us was including um, IV&V, Independent Verification and Validation Teams. And man, what a difference that makes. Did you consider something like that in uh, Indiana? Very strong uh, supporter of IV&V. Um, and that, that's actually part of our checklist as we go through what we're called. We kind of call this process uh, project portfolio risk management. That's kind of what we're calling this thing mm-hmm. that I partner with OMB on. And besides the, uh, you know, the rigor that we, we run these projects through, uh, the IVMV is a requirement. And they're required to allocate a certain percentage of their budget right. um, to that project before it gets the green light. So yeah, very, very much to support. Yeah, we had a... We had uh, tremendous uh, fights with the Department of Finance about funding these things because they just didn't see the value. And I said, well, you know, you're the one who doesn't have to go in front of the legislature when these things belly up. And I said, well, what could we have done differently? Well, I could have gotten the finance department to finance some IV&V work would have helped. So we <laughs> finally got uh, – we mustered it, and it became institutionalized. You had mm-hmm. to have it on projects of a certain size. And, you know, I always valued the, – the most difficult part is who's that person going to report to? Because the right. project, the, the agency mm-hmm. didn't want them reporting to me. And, of course, it, finally it got to be a compromise where we got to see them a little bit li- after the original, uh, the, the actual user agency got them. But it mm-hmm. was, uh, it, after a while, everybody saw the value of it. It really, really helped. Well, let's talk about new initiatives. What are you looking at for uh, the upcoming year? What really we're looking at, and something my agency has established as a mantra uh, for this year and beyond, is um, – Speed to delivery is what we're calling it as a as kind of a catchy term for us. And what that means for us internally is let's look at how we can effectively bring in and, and leverage these these niche and these hybrid solutions that are out. You know, they're becoming more mature each and every day. Uh, let's figure out a way we can evaluate those for efficacy and how they can help us to uh, make our agency's missions much faster. So the ultimate goal is to help our agencies get services stood up in a faster fashion than we've ever had in the past. And that that's for two reasons, really. I mean, the first reason is to be able to keep up with changing citizen demand, changing citizen needs. But the second thing, which is probably even more important, is let's help them figure out if something's viable or not or if it's going to fail in a faster fashion and so they can get on and, and try the next uh, a project they want to take on. Mm-hmm. 
Any particular projects with big procurements that are coming up next year? Uh, we're we're continuing to um, kind of come together as a state, I would say. You know, my brand or my office has really had success in the services it provides and, and initially started with just the executive branch only. Um, I have since been able to span into some of the statewide electeds. Hmm. And so a, a major one that we're going to be doing here uh, starting next year will be integrating uh, the payroll function, which is largely a state auditor function. That's a statewide elected separate from executive branch. But we want to integrate those into the executive branch ERP. With the current one you have now or a new mm-hmm. one? No, with the current one. Okay. Yep. I was going to say, you're starting a, <laughs> starting an ERP pro- No. <laughs> enterprise <laughs> ERP payroll system where the road to hell is paved with the skulls of folks that have have gone that route. Not that it can't be done, but right. boy, they are a challenge. They really are a challenge. That's interesting. You kind of make it sound simple taking over <laughs> jurisdiction with some of these constitutional offices. From my experience, that was a third rail sometimes. How did you, ma- mm-hmm. how did you manage that? Uh, I think, you know, it's a testament really to the agency itself and the previous leadership of just, you know, being able to do what I call the blocking and tackling very well. I mean, you don't, you don't even, you don't make it to the table to talk about these above and beyond things if you don't do the blocking and tackling um, and what I called kind of your core existence very well. And so I think there's been a long history established of being able to do those things very well from desktop support to mm-hmm. infrastructure support, uh, data center support, resiliency. Um, and we've been able to drive that cost down. We've had a heavy focus on cost competitiveness. And each year we look at ways to drive that cost down um, for the uh, chargeback purposes. And so that that message is continuing to make its way then across the uh, you know the state hallways and the state house, and it's led to us to taking over services for uh, Secretary of State a few years back. Right now, we're talking to the auditor's office. We're also talking to our attorney generals, and so it's they they realize some of that blocking and tackling things. It's better served to let someone who does that very well, and then it frees them up to focus on you know, what their core business objectives are and yeah. not have to worry about these. Sounds good, but it's a tough things. sell sometimes. It is a tough sell. Did you have to get, I would assume you had to get legislation to do it as well, right? Um, the only legislation we had really was for the executive branch. Okay. Um, it was always left as an optional uh, approach okay. for the for the separate statewide electeds. And so it was there to be able to take on their services. Yeah, because I've always, it was my experience that the, uh, you know, everybody, the governor would even say, no, don't touch the attorney general. Don't let them do their thing. Don't get involved. But you're right, particularly when some of them had data centers and they were looking and said their costs were going through the roof. And I said, well, you know, our rates are cheaper. If you really mm-hmm. want to take advantage of it, you, you're making a big mistake if you don't. But mm-hmm. hard sell. I'm, uh, it is. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I think. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, it could be one of those things that comes back and uh, – and bites you into you know what, but but basically uh, an enterprise pr- approach is 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 always going to be successful when you're talking about you know enterprise systems. I mean, let's face it, having you know, remember the days of 25 email systems, and not to oh, mention yeah. 25 data centers like I had in uh, in California. <laughs> it was always a challenge. So it's good to, it's good to be able to to have that that kind of thing happen. And I'm sure that's a a testament not only to to the governors but to your organization as well. It's not easy to get those things running. Right. I, knew that for, I knew that for a fact. Um, with that, we're going to have to conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Duan Neely, Chief Information Officer for the state of Indiana. Duan, thanks for taking the time to be with us. John, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes 
Curated news and original articles by yours truly and more esteemed authors is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.